Futurize goes beneath the trends to track the underlying forces of disruption in tech, policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. I'm your host, Trun Arne Unheim, futurist and author. In episode 21 of the podcast, the topic is what's next in energy storage. Our guest is Joe Adaletta, senior director at Ionic Materials, the battery storage startup spun out of Tufts University. We talk about the technologies behind energy storage. We discuss promising startups in the EV, grid, and emerging electric aviation space. Where is the field going? Will there be a Cambrian moment where growth will accelerate? Is that in this decade or the next? We also discuss the emerging market opportunity in India. Joe, how are you doing today? I'm great, Trant. How are you? Thanks for having me on. (laughs) Yeah, it's exciting. Exciting times to uh, to talk about uh, anything related to the future. So today we are going to talk a little bit about energy storage innovation and and the whole issue around batteries and you know what's really happened over the past decade and and where the field is is going. But before we get into that, Joe, I mean you're a little bit of a you're kind of an all round hand in in energy storage. You've been through 24M liquid glide digital lumens and A123 systems, some of those directly, you know, in uh, in, in the space, others uh, in some other exciting fields. You have uh, an MBA from MIT Sloan, but you have your engineering degrees from Cornell. Tell me, I think this background is definitely fascinating for talking about something where industry and academia, you know, clearly both play an interesting uh, role. But if you just look back at these years, What is the experience that has taught you the most and you're kind of the most reminded of as you are in your current stage in in your career? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, John. Again, thanks thanks for having me on. Um, I, I think the most the most interesting experience was was probably um, at A one two three, and that's what really got me uh, started in in the storage and hard tech game, uh, if if you will. Right, uh, it was just uh, such an interesting time to be involved in that in that first wave um, of of energy storage development and, and applications development, uh, and and really. You know, over the last ten years, we've seen such an such an explosion in the industry as compared to where it was back then, which you know, arguably was um, sort of a, a perfect storm um, of, of events, uh, if if you will. So, before we get into the details of that, would you say that you know this experience at A one two three? Why was it that it kind of just etched in in your head that you know storage was something you're going to come back back to or or would you say it's a little bit more circumstantial than that that you know you've been getting calls because you just were interested in the topic like how how do you get etched yeah that's, <laughs> you know, a, that's a really good question I think there's there's two primary uh, two primary answers to that. Um, the, the first is that you know batteries are just fantastically interesting things technically, um, and we can have a good argument probably about whether they're good business or not. But technically, they're like fantastically interesting. Um, it, it's like the old kind of onion. Uh, metaphor or analogy, right? Like every layer, you learn about the application, you peel a layer back, you learn about the chemistry, you peel a layer back, you learn about the engineering of electrodes, you peel a layer back, you learn about engineered materials, you peel a layer back. And it's just like, it keeps going and going and going, right? I've been doing it for, you know, almost a decade and um, I'm still quite the neophyte when it comes to uh, to the electrochemical system. So so that's the first, right? They're, they're fantastically interesting. Um, the second, I think it's just, it, there's so much gravity 
in the industry, right? It's like you get sucked into this Jupiter-like orbit and it's really, really hard to get out. It, it, it wants to pull you back. Um, the, the experience base here in the US is relatively shallow, right? It's certainly expanding now. Um, but, you know, there were a small handful of companies a decade ago that were really interested in advancing uh, materially uh, battery technology. There's obviously quite a bit more now, but um, when, when you have that base of experience, it's really hard to get out of that battery orbit, if you will. So energy storage, what, what is energy storage? What, what is the goal here? Uh, it's a very broad term, energy storage. But if you look at what's considered the energy storage industry, I guess, you know, what, what is the goal here? I mean, storing energy for various purposes, but I mean, energy is such a wide construct. Um, and, and I guess in its wide sense, right, it's kind of viewed as almost like the Holy Grail. Like, yeah, if you could store energy, right? I mean, it's a, it's just a little bit of a massive idea, the whole thing, but break it down for us. Like how has this topic emerged? Because I'm assuming a good while back, you know, apart from the Teslas of the world, I mean, was anyone talking about truly storing energy as a, you know, as a massive amounts of energy? Or were we talking about, have we been talking about different things as, as they have become possible? Yeah, I mean, I think that's what you just said is exactly it, right? We're talking about different things as they become possible, right? And and some of that possibility um, is certainly driven by advancement in battery technology, right, as, as an enabler. Um, but some of it is just uh, imagining that things uh, are, are realistic or possible, right? So uh, I'll give you an example. You said, what is energy storage? Um, and, and the reality is there's so many different applications, right? Ultimately, right. What, you're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to solve problems, right? It's, 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 a, it's a solution to a problem, right? The, if it's, whether it's climate change and, and energy storage on the grid, or, um, you, you know, you could call EVs um, also a climate mitigation strategy, which of course they are. Um, but you look at, you know, a Tesla and you take one for a drive and, and it's clear that while it may not be solving a problem necessarily, it's certainly offering a different experience, right? So uh, each of these, each of these individual applications has a need for energy storage. And, and that's really, you know, over the last 10 years, um, what's, what's driven the diversity of solutions that are, are either out there now or, or, or that are coming in the future. We'll talk a little more about the futuristic applications later. So I'll leave the kind of the Holy Grail question for now. But I mean, it's just, you know, it's mm -hmm. unquestionable, right? That if you truly could store energy in that sense, I mean, uh, it, it enables an enormous amount of decentralized type of, of activity from, I guess, space travel to, to, to anything else. But how would you say... What would you say are the main distinctions currently in the field? So you, you mentioned batteries. We're gonna, you know, we'll, we'll unpack batteries. What are some of the other concepts? And and you know, how you how would you def divide up the field? Uh, you know, in your in your mind. Yeah, so you can look at it um, certainly on an applications or on kind of a technology basis, right? So uh, on the on the application side, um, you've obviously got you know big buckets, right? Consumer electronics, you know, grid storage. 
uh, electric vehicles and, and then, you know, emerging electric aviation type applications, right? So you can kind of break all those down. Um, and then you've got all kinds of uh, other storage technologies. Certainly there's electrochemical energy storage, lithium ion batteries being, being the primary, right? Um, but then you've got, uh, as, as these markets get bigger, um, you've got all kinds of other energy storage technologies uh, also, whether it's, um, you know, mechanical or thermal, um, you know, that, that sort of thing. So, uh, so, so there's certainly uh, certainly a diverse set of uh, both applications um, and solutions. So, so the real key there, right, is, is sort of techno market fit, if you will, right? Finding, finding the right thing to solve your, uh, your application's problem. So let's, let's start perhaps first with some of the technologies and then move on to some of the more exciting use cases, but also, uh, also some of the, you know, we're talking about some of the startups and, and, and stuff as well. But if you look at the basic technology, let's just start with batteries for one second. So what, what is this history of, of, of batteries? When, when were what we now know as the battery, which I think in most people's mind, right? It's, uh, I thought I had one here, this lithium ion, uh, you know, double uh, A or triple A battery that you're holding, uh, which has become so emblematic. When did that battery in that form get onto to the stage? And, and what's the alternative to that particular technology? <laughs> Yeah, so it's been it's been three decades, I guess, now in the making, right? So the, the first uh, so laptop batteries, right? That's that's the genesis of lithium ion, really, um, uh, via via Sony in the in the early '90s, right? Ninety ninety one um, sort of time frame is is the initial commercialization of um, the eighteen six fifty, as as the industry would call it, right? Uh, 18, 18 millimeters um, in diameter and uh, and sixty five millimeters um, in height, so a little bit bigger than a than a double A battery, um, but th that would start in the in the early '90s, right? Um, in in laptops, and it's been uh, somewhat of uh, an incremental march forward, right? Ever since then, for the last three decades, so so a battery. But it cell, hasn't exactly been Moore's law, has it? <laughs> no, 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 not even close, right? So, like, uh, let's see. In in the three decades, you, you've got I don't know, maybe four or five X, something like that, the, the energy density, right? So, so not even close to doubling every, uh, doubling every decade, maybe. <laughs> so wh why is that? Let's just start with that question because I've, I've talked to a lot of people, industry insiders, innovators, you know, whatever it is. And there's, there, there are believers, uh, you know, in terms of that batteries are going to change everything. And then there are skeptics who are sort of saying, this is what we've got, you know? Um, first off, if you just stay with the lithium ion platform, and I know there are startups and innovations on the lithium ion platform, what are the opportunities on that platform, uh, technology platform, and what are the limitations? And and you sure. know, and then so you know, unpack why this is not like a Morse law, and you know, d doubling, uh, you know, every year or two or three, but literally, you know, in, in decades. Yeah, sure. So uh, we, we can unpack that, let's, let's say, in two ways. Um, I, I'll just talk for a minute generally about what takes uh, so long for battery development. Um, yeah. And then, then we can talk about uh, the, the current limitation. of Because it's you know, not today's. just scale in terms of use cases, right? But that's obviously, you know, the second point we'll get to. It has, of course, to do with the market somewhat, but, but there's more than that you're saying. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely, right? So, the, so there's... Um, 
fundamentally development just takes a long time, right? So these are like fantastically complex electrochemical systems, right? People pick up a, a you know, your disposable Duracell or Energizer alkaline battery and they think, okay, well, I, you know, I just bought three dozen of these things for eight bucks and like, it's just that simple and it's a commodity, right? But these are, um, these are electrochemical systems that are made of highly engineered materials that have been, again, refined over three decades um, of, of innovation. And while the innovation, you know, to the outside world may not seem great as you're getting, you know, 7% or, or 10% kind of incremental improvement year over year, but um, it takes a lot of work to get there, right? Um, and, and, and a lot of work comes from just the, the overall amount of time that it takes to get these things qualified, right? So if you put something into R&D and it looks promising um, and you're working, let's say, uh, with an automotive OEM, right? And they want to see, let's just for round numbers sake, say a thousand cycles, right? Well, you get 10 cycles a day, right? A thousand cycles, if you want to see the results of that test, I mean, you can do the math, right? So it's 100 days, let's call it three months, right? So if you're getting towards... Um, the end of that kind of qualification. And instead of your battery failing in 200 cycles or 300, it's now failing in 800 or 900 or maybe even 1100, but you want to continue to make improvements. Every spin that you put in takes you three months to get results off of, right? So, but, but here's my question. See- so the spins though, what, what stops you from, from, Doing it faster because so here's my question. You know, let's fast forward to, to COVID just for one second. Let's just say that there was consensus that in order to move forward with COVID, we need immensely effective battery technology. Just to take like a random thing that, you know, COVID does that with a lot of things. I, I'm not sure batteries are one of them. Let's just say now we need a Manhattan project on batteries. If you just took the lithium-ion platform, would that even be possible? Is it is it something where manpower uh, or you know woman power? Is it just a number of people working on it, or is there truly these cycles you talk about? They're not just kind of R and D cycles or regulatory cycles and approvals and stuff. They're they're pure physical limitations on the platform. Yeah, so there, there certainly are pure physical limitations on the platform, right? Um, ultimately, uh, you know what the what the EV guys um, and, and you know, aviation guys and, and even consumer electronics, but they're chasing higher and higher energy density, right? At the end of the day, you want to make these things smaller, um, lighter weight, uh, lower cost, right? Is is part of is part of energy density, and we can certainly touch on cost um, a little bit separately because I think that you know bears its own conversation. Um, but the active materials that you use on the positive and the negative side, right, on the cathode and the anode, those dictate what the energy density or the energy content of your battery is. Um, and those materials have a limit. So the current, uh, the, the current electrochemical systems use something called NMC811, right, um, sort of 811 being the ratio of nickel to manganese to cobalt um, in those systems um, and, and graphite on the anode. And those inherently have limits. Um, so you have to switch materials um, to either higher nickel content cathodes or away from graphite altogether on the anode. And that's where that's where the bulk of money in terms of investment and development is going today is, is away from graphite on the anode side to get to higher energy densities. But but now, so we're talking about switching materials, but we're still talking about the lithium ion platform, which is a separate discussion, right? From the all right. the other materials that just say, 
forget lithium-ion, let's move to a completely different material as a starting point. Can you give us a tiny bit of an introduction to these non-lithium-ion innovations and technologies and platforms that are trying to just completely just say uh, lithium-ion is one thing, let's just now move away from that entire concept. What are some of those approaches? Yeah, so if you, if you move... Uh, <laughs> Two, two ways of looking at it, right? So the first is like electrochemical systems. So, so ion exchange type systems, right? Where like lithium ion, instead of moving lithium ions, you're moving other types of ions, right? Uh, and, and there are, uh, there are companies like uh, Ambry, as an example, a molten salt battery, right? Still, still moves ions um, between, between layers of salt, but it's certainly not anything remotely similar to a lithium ion battery, right? Um, it, there are, uh, the, so when you, when you move away from electrochemical systems, um, then there are, you know, thermal type storage systems like uh, Google Spinouts called Malta's up here, not too far from my house here in Cambridge, um, that, that does thermal exchange type, um, type work. Um, there's a big, there's a big company uh, that does uh, mechanical storage, so they've got this big tower and, uh, you know, they move big, huge concrete blocks around for, for, for you know, lack of a better way of saying it. Um, and, and they recapture the potential energy, right, of moving blocks up and down. There's certainly other ways um, to store energy other than electrochemical um, systems, for sure. Um, so if we move into the use cases, and I'm guessing the use cases will also determine the kind of tech and materials you are able to use. I mean, one, for safety purposes, two, yep. uh, you know, so just size, right? Because, I mean, lithium-ion, you can say a lot about it, but if you need consumer electronics, they they are relatively, relatively, right, safe platform. And, and, and the form factor is such that you can just, you can have them small or you can have them large, depending on how much power you actually need for your application. I mean, I've, I've understood that if you really want to power an electric car, uh, you know, based on consumer batteries, you could literally go to CVS or anywhere almost and like pack it up. I mean, these things, they double, they, they have this amazing capacity to stack and, 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 you know, and add together. But, um, but what are some of the true interesting, uh, usage applications for, for energy storage that you are, I don't know, the, the most excited about? Yeah, oh, wow, that's a that's that's a loaded question. I mean, they're all exciting, right? I mean, that's why that's why you're in energy storage. Um, I I think that um, the the beauty of industry right now, as opposed to a decade ago, um, is the applications level expansion that's going on, right? So uh, a decade ago, you know, when we're talking EVs, like the the Chevy Volt and the Nissan Leaf, they weren't even out yet. Right. Yeah. And, and here you are sitting, uh, sitting around it. And, and this year, um, if Tesla does the, what they want to do, they're going to sell half a million cars or something like that. Right. So it's just it's a completely different environment. And it's a bit of a rising tide floats all boats kind of scenario. Right. Uh, and as you have this um, this breadth of scale uh, and interest in all of these emerging applications, what happens uh, is that now you can have investment in application-specific type storage, right? Remember, like 10 years ago, um, Tesla was literally doing what you were talking about. They're taking laptop batteries and, and packaging them up, rack, rack and stack them and, and make an EV pack out of it, right? 
Um, and the same thing for for grid storage. You know, when we were at we were at A one two three, we had we had a nice special battery that we we developed, but we you know packed together eighty thousand of those things um, into into a grid storage battery, right? But today you have all of these uh, all this diversity, which makes it really really rich and exciting. How did Tesla pull that off? I mean, I'm, I was told from a friend of mine who's kind of into into this this space, and he said at the time this must be. I don't know if it's a decade ago, but we were talking about Tesla and he said, well, those guys are nuts because the the concept car that they have on the table presumes a, a degree of progress to to the point we were discussing earlier in battery technology that doesn't follow the curve. So yeah, well, how right. did they pull that off? I mean, in some of these, uh, some of these applications, right, sort of like to first order kind of problem, right? I think they went in with the hypothesis that we have to be able to buy the cheapest energy storage possible because that's going to be the driver of whether we can sell cars, right? And at the time, um, and you could argue whether that's still true today, the cheapest way to buy storage that had decent enough life was to buy laptop batteries made by, you know, tens of millions a month kind of thing, right? So if, if you wanted a, you know, quote unquote commodity product, like that was, that was how you were going to get it. Interesting. So these changing form factors, uh, both of the end product that's using these batteries and, and the form factor of, of course, the, the production battery, right? Uh, it seems to matter quite, quite a bit. Um, so we've talked about some of the material science be, uh, behind it, like ion, uh, flow batteries uh, is, is one, hydrogen, there's like all kinds of, uh, there, there's just all kinds of, uh, of uh, methods to do this, but, but they would have a consequence on the possible form factors, wouldn't they? Because, you know, we may be looking perhaps for, or that's at least what people are hoping for, a sort of Cambrian explosion in, in energy storage so that many, many, many more things would be possible. Um, yeah, that's right. I mean, ex- I, I, yeah, so to what extent, you know, uh, can you actually start, like Tesla, I guess, did with the form factor? They said, the car is the form factor. We're going to get there. We are making all these other innovations, but then there's this one element and, and we're just going to somehow push through on that as well. But here's the form factor, and that's a given. Um, but I mean, there are compl- other approaches as well, like with, with grid storage, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, now space is not such an issue. And if you look at, uh, I don't know if you would classify the, the big Tesla house battery, is that is that a grid storage? I mean, it certainly is, uh, you know, it's a way to store massive amounts of energy. So it's a little bit different than a than a small kind of electronics uh, type type uh, application. Uh, EVs is is one, right? And then you mm-hmm. have kind of large grids, which I thought to be, you know, I mean, microgrids now are smaller. They're even like in a house, but uh, but definitely grids, you know, is a, it could be uh, it could be a, in in and in of itself a form factor. And then you have uh, electric aviation, which mm-hmm. obviously weight is extremely everything. Important. Yep. Right. What are the form factors where you have seen the most progress lately? That's funny. It's, again, it's a loaded question. It happens. It, it happens differently. Again, going back to what I uh, something I had said earlier. Right. The, the fact that the mar- individual markets are big enough now that companies can dedicate resources to making batteries specific to those industries has generated a lot of really interesting stuff. 
right? So I'll, I'll give you one kind of one of each, I guess. Um, so on the EV side, um, for the folks that are using uh, what you might consider large format pouch cells, right? The movement has been from, you know, 10 years ago where you would get, uh, you know, a battery cell that might be in the shape of like an iPad, right? Basically square, more or less. Um, now, a lot of the development is very, very high aspect ratio cells so that you can fit them in one series string all under the floorboard. So think about something that might be four inches tall, but three feet long, as an, as an example, right? So form What's factor, that fitted under your bed? <laughs> uh, yeah, it fit under the floorboard of the car, right? So it oh, goes between the, the wheels right, right, and right, it's, right. Uh, yeah, yeah under, under the floorboard of the car. Um, so, that's, so that's one, right? On, on the grid, it's, it's the almost exact opposite, right? So you say to yourself, um, 10 years ago, we did a one megawatt hour installation with A123, right? The first one ever that got put on the grid, right? One, mega, one megawatt hour, four megawatts, right? Now, the minimum of these large installations is for like 100 megawatt hours, right? And they're going to go to a gigawatt hour. So you're talking about in the span of a decade or decade and a half, an almost three order of magnitude expansion in the scale of these projects, right? So you look at that and you say, okay, if I'm going to go put a gigawatt hours worth of storage on a given site, am I really going to make little AA batteries to do that? Like the obvious answer is no, there's, there's way too much cost and um, an assembly associated with that. So what do you want to do? You want to make the largest possible, safest possible cell that you can then package into, uh, in, in, into systems and, and put them on the grid, right? So microgrids, can you unpack this for me a little bit? I mean, grid, you know, in the olden days used to be the grid. So there was one grid and it was covering neighborhoods and, and sometimes parts of cities, right? And there were monopoly players that run, ran these grids. Now comes microgrids along. These microgrids, uh, to the extent they are independent of, of a larger uh you know, a, a grid provider, do they all need to d uh, depend on batteries to, to actually operate? Is that how, how they the work? Yeah, I think it's uh, so the term microgrid can be can be a little bit deceiving, right? I think the micro everybody thinks like really <laughs> right, small, like what um, is, because it, it's not micro in the in the traditional sense. Yeah, that's right. I mean, like it could be um, anything from, you know, let's say uh, a college campus for instance, right? So maybe the college campus is still connected to the main grid, but they have their own microgrid there so that if there's ever, um, you know, main grid failure or, or they're just trying to get to, you know, net zero emissions or something like that, right? All, all of the buildings are inter interconnected to storage and generation locally um, on site, right? So that's so a, the point is that you can control your own energy consumption and you can uh, direct and redirect energy, but also if you say microgrid, you have implied you have a storage solution. Is that right? The the simple answer is like yes and no. <laughs> it depends. Um, it's like Great. everything in batteries. It depends. Um, you're gonna you're gonna have a hard time pitting me down to anything in particular. But yes, well, see, it this should. is the marketing here is horrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. It's very that's right. difficult to to pin anything down. Yeah, I mean, so like at that that's probably true um, at, at like a college campus level. But if you think about um, Australia is a great example, right? Because Australia is like up, it's an island, obviously, right? Um, but it's uh, the population is primarily a ring around the entire outside of, of the country, right? Um, 
highly dense areas sporadic along the coast. So um, a good microgrid there might be regional cities, right? Yeah. Not necessarily tied to the, to the surrounding area, but regional cities that have massive wind and solar installations coupled with storage that, you know, kind of get to write their own ticket um, and, and self-supply. Got it. I want to move on to startups in a second, but it also strikes me that uh, energy storage is also a, a field that obviously is f- fairly regulated in, in many uh, of its applications and, and thus larger players, you know, governmentally owned, part owned, uh, in some countries fully owned, but also large players just because you know the you're playing with a big uh, w- with a big source here you know energy is a is a big thing what what are some of the larger players doing in energy storage and how is it affecting kind of the overall ecosystem because it's not just about startups spinning out of universities this field is um full of large it, it, very it established energy players yeah yeah absolutely uh, so i think that um up and down sort of the value chain, you've got massive, massive organizations investing in energy storage, right? And, and that comes from, um, you know, parties like automotive OEMs, certainly, right? So, um, you know, BMW and, and, and Volkswagen just did deals with Northvolt as an example, um, you know, Opal, PSA, and, and, and Saft are doing a JV in the EU to supply cells. I mean, the list kind of there goes on and on, right? So uh, the simplest way to think of it is like anyone with a vested interest in storage and their end application from a big company perspective, even the, all the oil and gas guys, right? Like Total owns Saft as an example. Um, they're, they're all interested and in, in they all see storage as um, part of the energy future uh, and, and are investing in it likewise. But Joe, you said a key word that was going to be my word here. And this is not you know, to blame anyone, but vested interests must be part of some of this explanation because clearly large companies have a vested interest in being part of the future. But isn't there something to the insinuation that this field might have moved slightly faster if there weren't all of these vested interests that were sitting on infrastructure assets that they clearly are, it's in their rational interest to milk some of those assets for as long as possible, right? So there is about, and whether you're talking oil companies, energy utility companies, or, or anybody that sits on a vested infrastructure that they and their forefathers, you know, have invested billions of dollars into, I mean, what is their interest in changing over the electricity system into some sort of mobile micro-gridish, skittish thing that doesn't yeah. follow so, the uh, laws of, that they have previously established? So it's, it's an interesting question, right? And, and, and I say it's an interesting question because there's, um, there's real no, really no like, conspiratorial, conspiratorial answer to it, right? The, the reality is, like ten years ago, um, like A one two three, right? We had a we had a perfect storm of of funding, right? So raised a bunch of VC funds, um, IPO'd, um, you know, had a, this was down two thousand eight, right? During during the the downturn, and and the ARA funds were out there, got half a billion dollars from the government, right? So like capital out out. Easy, easy capital availability, right? But there's no demand at the end of the day, right? You can build a plant, you can make good product, but if nobody's putting it into cars, what are you going to do? 
right? Is that is that the story you want to tell about A123, that there was no demand? That's one of the stories I could tell, um, but that's certainly true. I mean, like you look at uh, you look at the sales um, from, let's call it, when did the Volt come out? I don't know, maybe 2010, 2011, something like that. I mean, like if you follow EV sales, right? It's not yeah. like all of a sudden there were three dozen models available and there's millions and millions of cars, but it's been a, it's been a slow and steady slog, right? I mean, it really has. Um, and now we're at the point where it's about to take off and it's great. Um, but I don't think that, you know, people have been trying to keep battery technology down, if you will. And part of that, to be honest, Tron, um, is related to scale and it's related to cost, right? We're we're at the point now where there's, you know, hundreds of gigawatt hours of battery production annually. And in the coming years, there'll be orders of magnitude more than that, probably, Um, which has driven cost to a point where it's really usable. to crack the code on innovation don't look too hard buy the book disruption games how to thrive on serial failure by Trun Unheim was published by atmosphere press in 2020 common wisdom says that success breeds success however what if only repeated failure does the author has followed thousands of founders and startups at MIT and beyond as they struggle pivot fail or succeed the secret training as if for the Olympics with the top mentors being in the right places and deep examining what you learn along the way. The biosphere of innovation cannot be a template between R&D, innovation labs, partnerships, startup scouting, corporate venturing, accelerators, or open innovation. You never know where the breakthrough starts. Thriving on failure is the way of science. In four moves, get exposed to disruption, take or simulate risk, persist until point of failure, reflect and recover. Buy the book anywhere books are sold and learn more at disruptiongames.com. At what point are we, you said, right now, and why are we there now? So when you said we are there now, is this like 2020 we are there? Or would you say kind of the last three years we are there? And and when you say we're there, is this like the point before this Cambrian explosion? I mean, there's really something will come out of this situation that you're saying we're in right now, which will radically, well, We'll, we'll, we'll make it more of a platform, more available, and certainly a lot more efficient. That, that's what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that the best the best way to look at it really is EVs, right? So, because um, they're going to be at least for the next I don't know, let's call it five five to seven years, they're going to be the demand driver for lithium ion batteries, right? Um, and global automotive OEMs are, are sort of all in. On, on EVs, right? Tesla, like I said, is going to sell a half million cars this year. Um, it, it's driven scale to the point where um, costs are good, not only for EVs, but for other applications as well. Um, so and that is the mega application that's going to drive everything else. A grid storage could be just as large. For, for sure. Yeah. It, now, arguably, it's, it's behind. I mean, if you think automotive OEMs are slow to move, like utilities... I mean, really, really slow to move, right? So it's going to take a while, um, arguably, to to get enough storage um, on the grid where you're doing, you know, multiple tens of gigawatt hours of demand annually. But it's coming. There's no doubt it's coming. Hmm. 
Let's move into, I mean, we, we've kind of talked about A123 and some of the startups where you've been involved. If you look at the, the startups in, in the energy storage market, and, you know, we can pick some su- sub-markets, but uh, what are some of the interesting ones from, from your perspective? Uh, I know we had initially talked, uh, if you just pick a completely different uh, area than we have talked much about uh, so far, electric aviation, Lilium, you know, what, what are those guys up to? Yeah. So I, I, I'll take, I'll take a minute. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about my current employer. <laughs> yeah, you should. <laughs> I think, you it's, should. I think you should. it's one of the coolest uh, battery related startups, right? Um, so I, Ionic Materials, um, we do, uh, we do solid state battery development, right? So we're, uh, we're a polymers development company. Um, we yep. make an ionically conductive polymer that replaces uh, the highly flammable liquid electrolytes in in current batteries. So the dream there, right, is um, is safety sort of above all else, right? These are these are batteries that you can drive a nail through or shoot, and there's there's no uh, adverse safety event. So we're working hard on that. We're we're getting ready to scale that technology with uh, with a handful of great partners, um, and and that's really like so all solid state batteries. They're they're the promise of the future because there's a, a lot of interesting things you can do with those um, once once it happens. And and just briefly on that particular uh, tech, you know, where, where is that tech that you guys are developing? Where where is that coming from, and how 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 did it come to market? Yeah, so uh, Mike Mike Zimmerman, um, you know, the PhD uh, polymer polymer chemist, professor at Tufts, um, founded the company um, about about eight years ago um, when when he realized that uh, that that these this class of polymer that he had developed um, were were ionically conductive and. Uh, ionically conductive, uh, almost an order of magnitude higher than um, conventional um, other ionically conductive polymers. Um, so we've been working on it for a while um, and, and are just to the point where um, we're, we're ready to put it um, into, into application. So it's, it's, it's exciting. That's, that sounds cool. And the efficiencies of this particular battery platform compared to the ones we have just talked about, uh, how, how does it compare? Yeah, so uh, it's it's you know gonna be a hopefully um, drop in replacement to to liquid electrolytes, right? Like that's that's the goal. Um, the the goal is that I- existing manufacturers can use this material on uh, on on their fielded equipment, right? So so nothing to, nothing to change over, um, but that folks putting in new lines might use novel and interesting manufacturing techniques to, to leverage the unique properties of these polymers to make even cheaper batteries. Got it. Okay, so that's one. That's one platform. Uh, what about some of the other areas where there's yeah, well, so you asked I, about lithium batteries, and then yeah, and then yeah, yeah. So the lithium guys, um, super cool, right? Um, electric aviation um, is really interesting. Um, there's a lot of folks out there doing stuff, whether it's lithium or, or Uber Elevates program or Joby or you know my friends at Right Electric. Um, lots of folks out there. Uh, lithium, um, I think, is uh, really interesting um, because. You know, if you, if you look at their um, if you look at their bird, look at their plane. I mean, it's beautiful, right? It's it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous airplane. You call it a bird? I mean, it's a it's a it's a electric vertical takeoff and landing craft, right? Um, and yeah. it uses uh, distributed electric propulsion, right? So you don't have big um, big propellers or anything like that. You've got this suite of a dozen or so of these little sort of micro electric um, motors uh, along each of each of the wings. 
wings, right? And these wings, um, they pivot, right? And vertical takeoff and landing, you definitely go go take a look. I mean, but I think what it does is, um, you know, to the, to the sort of futurized point, right? It, it captures the imagination and it, it and that's looks important, like a little right? dream, right? Uh, yeah, it's, it's great, right? You get people excited about it and, and start to believe that this kind of application, this kind of thing is actually possible, right? Yeah. Have you come across uh, Lightyear One? It's this Dutch solar car that's out there now. I, I saw the prototype in Palo Alto. They brought it over. Yeah, I mean, I've I've, I've definitely seen it. Um, you know, the solar stuff, solar cars are, are are interesting. They they have to be to be practical. They have to be so highly efficient because you just don't get that much energy off of the limited square footage that you have available for panels. Right. So it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see where they go. Um, you know, that's, that's along with flying cars, right? Solar powered cars and flying cars. I mean, that's, uh, you could get, even I mean, it's stuff of science fiction, right? I mean, when, when you right. look at that thing, you're thinking, wow, yeah, that's, uh, that's what, uh, dreams, uh, you know, in your, uh, Everybody's spending time at home now, so you have time to dream, right? I mean, this is what you dream about, right? So yeah, being, you grew up uh, watching, watching, watching the Jetsons uh, cartoons and things like that. And everybody wants flying cars, right? Flying cars are always the future. We've been waiting for them for, uh, for a while, right? Um, hopefully, these guys will usher in some of that stuff. There are a bunch of fly, flying car startups, though, for, 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 for like, truly flying car startups, yeah. for, for lack of better words. What do you think of those? Uh, I, it's hard to believe that true flying cars are going to happen anytime soon. Like you're just going to be driving, driving down the Massachusetts Turnpike and hit a button and all of a sudden you're going to take off to your destination. Um, yeah. but you know, who knows? We'll see. But I mean, the, the complexity is that now you're bringing in two regulatory regimes, right? I mean, because if you say, sure. you know, I'm a drone, that's, that's like one thing that, you know, that's been like a relatively free space. The moment you sort of say, well, I'm kind of an airplane. Okay. Whoa. Okay. FAA. That's this is ser really serious. Um, if you're a car, obviously now you're on the highway. Uh, you got to follow uh, all kinds of automotive specifications. But if you look at the new mobility space, which again, like the moment you called it new mobility, then everyone was interested in mobility. <laughs> do you think to your, mar to your marketing point, right? <laughs> yes. Right. Uh, do you think that the short hops to like regional stations all around? Um, is, is our mobility pattern going to change drastically in the next few years if any and all of your kind of theories about you know this being the Cambrian moment? Let's just say there's going to be all these form factors and, and you know let's call it government regulators are going to be relatively lenient and, and, and let some of these things fly around. Is there a, a potential that that mobility will truly change in even just in this decade or are we again up against a lot of these you know whether there be practical or technological limitations and you know evs is a relatively rare kind of situation where i mean if you think the platform car it's been around right so it's not like elon musk had to convince people what a car was he just had to say i've built something that is, uh, you know, his problem is, you know, you have to convince uh, people that it's as safe as a car, but at least it looks enough like a car that no one's questioning that it kind of is a car. Mm -hmm. but, but some of these other patterns are, are starting to question how and why you move around and, you know, don't, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, that's a good, that's a good question. I mean, I guess the, the question is, um, you know, planes are around, 
the electric aviation guys, like, do you have to convince them they're planes? Uh, they look like planes. They, they fly, right. you know, it, it yeah. looks like a plane. It flies like a plane. It's, it's going to well, be a but plane. They right? kind of also look like helicopters, right? If you have vertical takeoffs. Some, so that's some the, of them. Yep. Yep. That's true. Yep. Um, I, so to answer your question, like, do, do we think there's going to be a, a big change in mobility because of that in particular? I'm not sure. I think what's interesting to think about is um, what happens. So we've got COVID, right? COVID has, has dramatically changed the, um, the outlook of sort of working from home and um, what people might think of is, uh, is, is an appropriate um, work methodology, right? So maybe you have fewer people going in to work. You couple that with um, electric vehicles and you know fully automated driving and potentially electric aviation. You start to think to yourself, okay, maybe it's not just that we're going to have a whole bunch of ICEs sitting in gridlock on on the highway, but maybe it's something you know a lot better than that. You know, demand reduction. Um, automated movement uh, and new methods of of, of mobility. I mean, it, it sounds like an interesting future, you know. Well, it's an inter- interesting future for lots of reasons. Let's talk more about COVID. What has it done? Because you know, COVID is 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 one thing. If you are just the desk worker and uh, you have to endure this kind of situation, sitting across, uh, you know, and spending a lot of time around the screen, but essentially you're doing the same thing just in slightly uh, you know in slightly electrified way but how is it to develop a battery technology and storage when you can't go into the office I mean some of these things are infrastructures and there's testing and, and hardware involved how do you even do that yeah so uh, I guess the answer is you, you do the best you can right um, <laughs> you're right um, anyone doing uh, you know all, the, all my friends in, in startups around here right anyone who's involved heavily in the physical sciences, Right, it ends up being challenging. Um, I, I think the real answer is, you know, you manage your office as best you can. Right, the people who need to be in the labs um, still need to be in the labs doing the work, and you have to be as protective of that as you can. Right, so limit their limit their exposure to anyone else. Um, make sure that you set up proper protocols in the labs, and, and and still try to maintain and press your advantage as best you can. I guess there are actually a lot of startups trying to reinvent how you work in the lab as well. I mean, there's remote mm-hmm. monitoring possible in a lab as well. Like there's a lot sure. of human monitoring that was kind of redundant and you're not really monitoring anything crucial. Well, they're, they're crucial, but they, they could be sensors monitoring those things as, as well. But, but you're not going to automate 100%, right? If you're innovating on the process, you don't even really know what you're monitoring. So it, it would seem like yeah, that's it's right. kind of kind of dangerous to leave your experiment, especially in batteries, right? I mean, yeah, that's right. That's some right. of this stuff could blow up. Um, let's talk, you know, as we're sort of thinking truly about, about the future and one of the developments, I know emerging markets is always a, a, a big question, certainly with batteries and, and, and storage, uh, more so because, you know, you're now dealing with, co- with countries that have regions that never really got the grid in the first place. You're yep. dealing with very poor uh, road infrastructures, and to point out some other things, I mean, you're doing, uh, you're dealing with countries that maybe don't even have domestic manufacturing capability for some of these advanced products, and a host of other things, right? Um, yeah, that's right. I mean, what I think is that happening there? I mean, India, 
Yeah, I think I think India is an absolutely fascinating market, right? Um, for for a number of a number of different reasons. Um, the the first being, I, I just I think that the future um, in in some of these countries is is all distributed, right? Like if you were the, the best analogy, cell phones, right, or, or telephones. Um, if you were an emerging uh, an emerging economy that wanted. Um, you know, telecommunications throughout the country, the last thing you do is go run landlines, right? Today, you drop a bunch of cell towers and like nobody would even think twice about landlines. Um, yeah. I think the same thing is going to happen with energy generation and storage. It's going to all be distributed renewables plus storage because um, you just, you're not going to run, you know, 80, 80,000, you know, volt high tension um, infrastructure lines throughout a country as large and as um, diverse as India, as, as an example, right? So, so what do you do? How do you, how do you solve that problem? Innovative storage and, uh, and renewable energy uh, technologies. But is it certain, though, that it'll give these countries the kind of independence that they're simultaneously hoping to do? Because, I mean, they're hoping for, they are truly hoping for the holy grail, right? They want independence from any other mm -hmm. country, like India from China, you know, they're going to rely on some other provider coming in with a monopoly on, on energy, which historically has been an issue in many, many countries. But on the other hand, isn't it true that most of these technologies, after all, are developed by companies, large or small, coming from previous uh, large countries that already were important and ready for, for this new wave? I mean, is it possible that the distributed innovation also in these countries can catch up in the same way? Or would you say all of the platforms we've been talking about so far still demand that you have a advanced infrastructure and talent around you so that you can actually capture the, the benefits of all, all that's happening and, 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 and build products fast enough and with attractive enough designs and form factors that they will take off in, in this country. So in other words, who's going to be the leaders? And let's just say India is the next big energy market. Is, is it going to be powered by, by domestic Indian startups? Or do you think the whole world is going to move in there? That's a really good question. Um, I, I think the, the simple answer is that they, they certainly have the opportunity to do it themselves. Right. Um, and the reason I say that is uh, a bit of um, a delta, it's sort of a techno, techno economic fit argument. Right. So today they use an absolute ton of lead acid batteries. Right. It's lead acid manufacturing infrastructure there. Um, there's recycling infrastructure there. Um, there are uh, electrified things there, both whether it's two wheelers and three wheelers or whether it's, um, you know, in home banks of lead acid batteries because of uh, grid intermittency problems there. Right. The problem is you can't go for forget about the geopolitical problems with, with China, right, that, that there are. So, so India doesn't necessarily want to import Chinese technology, right? The cost of lithium-ion batteries as a replacement for lead acid just doesn't work, right? Yeah. So this is an example where you could bring in uh, a, a, what one might think is a lesser technology than lithium-ion, but yeah. is much more cost-effective to serve the market and is still, you know, 2x, 3x um, uh, lead acid. Right. So so there really is an opportunity to leverage some of that manufacturing infrastructure and um, technical know how there um, to, to make batteries that are better than what they have now that can still be used on the grid, but not necessarily have to import hundred dollars a kilowatt hour type technologies. Interesting. 
finally, as yeah, I think thinking, so. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I know you think so. Um, as we're thinking about the, this area, I mean, it strikes me, and it—I mean, I—I I, I was aware of this before. It's an extremely complicated area. Mm-hmm. It's easy to just throw out questions like I do and sort of imagine like we all do, but truly being an innovator in um, battery storage energy storage, whether it's grid or consumer applications, uh, you know, micro uh, electronics or, or, or and in any industry really applying this is somewhat difficult. How do you personally stay up to date and how would you advise my listeners to try to get into this field, uh, you know, somewhat track it and, and have a sense, maybe they want to invest in it, maybe they want to just uh, be aware of what changes are coming on on the horizon where should they go are there easy to find influencers you know uh, newsletters uh, i don't know google yeah, searches yeah sure i mean i i would definitely suggest that people you know f- that there are plenty of like online publications out there right whether it's like electrek or um, green car congress or green tech media or there, there's a lot of publicly available information about this uh, if you want to take it kind of the next step um, past publicly available information um, plenty of really interesting conferences right depending upon your, your view right whether you want to go what's the EVs top one or, what's oh, the top uh, one uh, in in EVs it's probably AABC uh, it's the advanced automotive batteries conference um, there's a, there's a good one in Florida. That's got a mix of a little bit of everything. It's the international battery seminar. Um, I've been going to that for like, what seems like forever. Um, and, you know, for, for grid, there's like solar power international. Um, there's, you know, the energy storage association show, the ESA, um, there's ESNA, which is the energy storage, North America show. Like there, there are, there really are, um, a lot. There's electric aviation shows now. I mean, it's great. Like you could probably find an energy storage show a week. <laughs> if you really wanted to now, not in the current times, right? A lot of this stuff's yeah. moved online and that sort of thing, but um, there, there's a lot of information available. I'm happy to, any of the listeners want to chat a little bit more. I'm happy to, happy to field calls as well. Well, I feel slightly informed just by this conversation. I hope others feel the same way. Joe, it's been a true pleasure to explore these things and kind of, you know, I, I, kind of a jumping a little back and forth between topics, but I, I try to make it a little more, uh, kind of conversational. This, this uh, could very easily be a highly technical conversation. I wanted us to dig a little bit deep. I hope it's been, uh, been, been interesting for people listening. Thanks so much for sharing your expertise. That's great, John. Thanks. Pleasure to be on. 